welcome to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. This podcast is devoted to helping increase your daily exposure to God's Word with a short scripture reading and brief commentary on key ideas, themes, and theology in each chapter. Now please join your host, Dave Jenkins, for today's episode. Well, welcome back to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. Today is February 3rd, and we're going to look today at Genesis 34. Just as a reminder, every day I read from one chapter, and then I offer a very brief explanation of key ideas and themes and the theology very briefly from that chapter. My goal is to get you into God's Word for about 5 to 20 minutes every day. So let's get into our reading from Genesis 34 today. Let's take a look at what the Lord has to say to us from Genesis 34 today. And now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had born to Jacob, went out to see the woman of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamar, the Havite, the prince of the land, saw her, he seized her and lay with her and humiliated her. And his soul was drawn to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. And so Shechem spoke to his father Hamar, saying, Get me this girl for my wife. And now Jacob heard that he had defiled his daughter Dinah. But his sons were with his livestock in the field, and so Jacob held his, his peace until they came. And Amar, the son of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. The sons of Jacob had come in from the field as soon as they heard of it. And, and the men were indignant and very angry because he had done an outrageous thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter. For such a thing cannot, must not be done. But Hamar spoke with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him to be his wife. Make marriage with us. Give, give your daughters to us and take our daughters for yourselves. You, you shall dwell with us and the land shall be open to you. Dwell and trade in it and get property in it. And Shechem also said to her father and to her brothers, let me find favor in your eyes and whatever you say to me, I will give. Ask for me a great a bride price and gift as you will and i will give you whatever you say to me only give me the young woman to be my wife the son the sons of jacob answered shechem and his father hamar deceitfully because he had defiled their sister dinah they said to him we cannot do this thing to give our sister to the one who is uncircumcised for that would be a great disgrace to us only on this condition will we agree with you that you we be, will that you will become as we are by every male among you being circumcised. Then we will give our daughters to you, and we will take your daughters to ourselves, and we will dwell with you and become one people. But if you will not listen to us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughters, and and we will be gone. And their words pleased Hamar and Hamar's son Shechem. And the young man did not delay to do the thing, because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. And now he was the most honored of all his father's house. And so Hamar and his son Shechem came to the gate of their city and spoke to the men of their city, saying, These men are at peace with us. Let them dwell in the land and trade in it. For behold, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters as wives, and let us give them our daughters. Only in this condition will the men agree to dwell with us to become one people. When every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised, 
Will not their livestock, their property, and all their beasts be ours? Only let us agree with them, and they will dwell with us. And all who went out of the gate of his city listened to Hamar and his son Shechem, and every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of his city. And on the third day, when they were sore, two of the sons of Jacob, Simon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and came against the city, while it felt secure, and killed all the males. They killed Hamar and his son Shechem with the sword, and took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went away. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because they had defiled their sister. They took all their flocks and their herds, their donkeys, and whatever was in the city and in the field. All their wealth and all the little ones and their wives, all that was in the house, they captured and plundered. And then Jacob said to Simon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land. The Canaanites and the Perizzites, my numbers are few, and if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. But they said, Should he treat our sister like a prostitute? Well, this is our reading today from Genesis 34. Now, in all likelihood, Jacob and his family knew what happened to their relative Lot after he became too close to the residence of Sodom in Genesis 19. Unfortunately, the next event in Israel's history proves Jacob and his children did not learn from Lot's sins. After settling in the city of Shechem, Dinah, the daughter of Jacob and Leah, went out to see the women of the land, according to verse 1 of our chapter today. Now, Moses would not normally describe the parentage of Dinah so explicitly, and so the mention of Leah is important. Here, Jacob's first wife, of course, was unloved, according to Genesis 29:30, and any children produced by by this union were regarded similarly. In contrast to the sons of his favorite wife, Rachel. Now, Israel's regard for Leah set Dinah up for a fall. Dinah was probably about 16 years old to be a peer of the ladies of Shechem. She she could not have been born before year 13 or so of Jacob's 20 years in Paddan Aram, and was therefore about seven when Jacob left for Canaan. Now, Jacob has irresponsibly given Dinah about nine years to fall in love with the culture when she goes to be with the women who lived in Shechem. And moreover, it was irregular for women in her day to go freely wherever they want. And given Moses' warnings about intermarriage within the Canaanites in Genesis 26, he, he does not view Dinah's actions favorably. So she could learn many sins and meet many pagan men through these women. Matthew Henry writes that Dinah went to get acquainted with those Canaanites and to learn their way. And so the foolishness of being too involved with the inhabitants of the promised land is soon made manifest when Shechem, the prince, not, not the city, seizes Dinah and humiliates her in verse 2. In fact, this is just another way of saying that he raped Jacob's daughter. Shechem did a great evil with this very act, but he ends up falling in love with her, and that suggests a remedy for his actions that, as we're going to see, uh, is not as horrible as it sounds. Now, still, his uncontrollable desire has brought great shame upon Dinah, and there's going to be consequences. This is always the case when man flagrantly violates the law of God and harms the image bearers of God. John Calvin writes in his commentary that Shechem, on the one hand, loved her, Dinah, as a wife, and did not even object to be circumcised that he might love her. Nevertheless, the fervor of lust had so prevailed that he first subjected her to disgrace. Shechem submitted to his lust, and in doing so, he brought harm upon Dinah. And We not, might not be guilty of rape, but if we dwell on the lusts of our hearts, we may also succumb and greatly injure ourselves. 
Now, when we read the, the Mosaic Law, what we find is some of its stipulations are quite baffling. We, we can look at Deuteronomy 22, 28-29. This passage orders a man who rapes an unmarried virgin to marry her. Hardly a custom we find in our society today. And yet this teaching is not a cruel injunction designed to have the wife bitterly remember the violation of her body and soul. In fact, this law protects the woman, we must understand. During the period in which Moses lived and wrote about, women were extremely vulnerable members of their society. They, they could not hope to survive if they were unmarried non-virgins, for only those who were virgins could expect to find a husband. Now, a woman who had been raped was therefore considered untouchable in most places. But the Mosaic Law protects the victims by prescribing marriage to her attacker. In this way, the Lord guarded the woman from any further economic or social harm. Now, in Genesis, those outside the, the covenant family often act more righteously than the sons of Abraham. Now, this episode is a demonstration of this truth once again. In seeking to marry Dinah and to shield her from further harm, according to verses 2-3 through three of our chapter today, her rapist Shechem is more concerned to do the right thing than Jacob, who remains silent about the attack in our chapter today in verses 5-6. through six. Now, Jacob agrees to the marriage, presumably, but there is no record of his anger towards Shechem for assaulting his daughter. This silence is deafening. It shows how little the patriarch cared for this child. The Westminster Shorter Catechism definition of transgression includes sins of omission when it says this, Sin is any want that is a lack of conformity unto the law of God in question 14. God's command to love and to seek the good of our neighbor in Leviticus 19.18 and to demand for sexual purity in Exodus 20.14, among other stipulations, it required Israel or Jacob to confront Shechem, especially if he was to become his brother through marriage. And yet Jacob does nothing and thereby sins against the Lord and Dinah. It will fall to Dinah's brother to show outrage for the evil done to their sister, but they will go too far in doing so. You see, Dr. R.C. Spell writes, When we sin against God, we do violence to his holiness. When we sin against our neighbor, we violate his or her humanity. Now, transgression is not only a direct violation of the, the law of God. We also sin each time we fail to do what he says. It is wrong to neglect sharing the gospel, ignoring the plight of the oppressed, or disregard the well-being of our neighbors. Are you guilty of any of these sins of omission today? Now, with Jacob's irresponsibility uh, plain to everyone, it falls to Dinah's brother to confront Shechem for his sin. Now, unlike their father, they are legitimately upset with how their sister has been treated. They are indignant and very angry, according to verse 7 of Genesis 34, an expression indicating the presence of anguish and rage. The Hebrew word lying behind this English translation is also used in Genesis 6-6 to describe the Lord's sorrow at having made mankind. Jacob's sons are gravely outraged at Dinah's rape. So Shechem's father, Hamar, understands that Jacob will not be bothered with preserving his daughter's honor. And so he begins speaking with Dinah's brothers. And yet, while the, the joining of Dinah and Shechem in marriage might be the, the just curse of action, given what has happened, uh, Hamar still proposes far more than just one wedding. He encourages the children of Israel to join their society to his own, to give their daughters to the inhabitants of the land, and to take the Canaanite women as their own in verse 9. However, Hamar offers Jacob's sons a chance to dwell and to trade in the land and to get property in it, according to verse 10. This is a very appealing offer indeed. And yet, despite how attractive this proposal seems, it, it would have been wrong for Israel's sons to accept it. 
God strictly forbade large-scale intermarriage between the Israelites and the Canaanites in Deuteronomy 7, 1-4, and Joshua 23, 12-13. Through the joining of Dinah to Shechem may have been allowed for Dinah's sake. In fact, taking Hamar up on his offer to get property in verse 10 of Genesis 34 would violate the covenant. The Hebrew term for Hamar's proposal is the same the one the Lord used in Genesis 17:8 when he pledges to give the promised land to Abraham's seed. It was our father's will that Israel possess Canaan, but he was the one who must give it over. Hamar's deal was a temptation for Jacob's sons to receive the land from him instead of the Almighty God. Hundreds of years after this episode, Satan tempted Jesus similarly, but unsuccessfully when he offered to give our Savior the rain promised to him by his Father in Matthew 4, 8-10. through Now, may we look to Christ for strength like him, that we may resist the devil and wait patiently for God to bring us that which he promised us. Now, there are all sorts of good things the Lord has promised us, and, and there are just as many wrong ways to go about obtaining them. So that's why we must wait patiently for God to bring these good things to us. This does not mean we become indolent. It, it simply means we act righteously when seeking his good gifts. For example, we ought not to lie to get ahead, nor we ought to step on others to climb the corporate ladder. We are not to seek success at the expense of others, according to Proverbs 3, 1 through 4. In contrast to their father, the sons of Jacob initially appear to be the righteous party following the rape of their sister. After all, the patriarch makes no attempt to confront or even rebuke those who have harmed his, his daughter. But her brothers are angry. Indeed, Shechem's actions is that which must be done, according to verse 7. Well, our chapter today describes how the sons of Israel first respond to Hamar's offer of restitution through the marriage of his son Shechem to their sister Dinah in verses 8 through 11. Hamar stressed the financial benefits of this arrangement and even others like it, but, but Jacob's sons emphasize the religious obstacles to the union. They tell Shechem and Hamar that they must be circumcised if Dinah would join their family in verses 14 through 17. This proposal would, would have been eminently reasonable to Shechem and Hamar since the pagans in those days often performed circumcision to indicate a man was of age to marry. And yet the religious implications would also have been clear because non-Israelites were, were not circumcised alongside the children of Israel unless they were submitting to Yahweh, the one true God, according to Exodus 12:14. Were it not for Genesis 34:13, we might believe Jacob's sons were making their proposition in good faith, even evangelizing these men in hopes of their full spiritual restoration. Now, no such motivation is evident here. In fact, the sons will use the demand for circumcision to deceive Hamar and Shechem and exact vengeance upon these Canaanites, according to verses 18 through 29. They will take the covenant sign, a holy seal that indicated a separation from the world, as well as a dedication to the Lord and to profane it. Now, these brothers are intent on cutting off from the life of those who would receive it, instead of cutting these pagans apart from the world to embrace God's abundant blessings. The Lord does not take the misuse of his signs and seals likely. In fact, Paul says that those who misuse the sacraments, especially the Lord's Supper, may end up dead in 1 Corinthians 11, 29-30. Therefore, let us not profane God's holy ordinances. Let us examine ourselves before the ordinances are celebrated and look to Christ in them. May we not treat them as automatic conduits of saving grace, but realize they benefit us only if we trust in Christ alone. 
We, we noted how Shechem's desire to marry Dinah after violating her revealed Shechem to have more, be more righteous than Jacob, at least in some ways. The patriarch failed to become Dinah's advocate after she was attacked, but the perpetuator of the crime was willing to marry, marry her, thereby obeying law, God's law in Deuteronomy 22, 28-29. And yet we should not esteem Shechem too highly since he did rape Dinah. In fact, though love motivated his desire for Jacob's daughter, according to Genesis 34, 3-4, Shechem's repeated call for Dinah's hand shows that he lacks the patience our father prizes. Shechem's evil proclivities are probably encouraged by his own father's transgressions, though as the favorite prince of the land, he would certainly expect to get what he wanted when he wanted it. And in our passage today, Hamar's misdeeds have not been readily apparent. He, he has so far appeared to be honorable and an even honest fellow, his passing over Shechem's sin notwithstanding. But Hamar's wickedness becomes apparent when he goes to the men of his city and relays the demand of Jacob's sons in verses 18 to 23. And so the king and his son do not mention Shechem's sin when presenting the case for circumcision, nor do they repeat their promise to give land to Jacob's family in verse 10. Instead, they hold out the economic advantages of intermarriage and the gain of property and livestock according to verse 23. By this, Hamar and Shechem show their true motive in agreeing to circumcision, the assimilation of Jacob's sons. Now, the danger in widespread intermarriage of the Canaanites to the Israelites is now clear. Joining the two societies without true conversion to Yahweh would compromise Israel's witness. They and their faith would be swallowed by the pagans, not vice versa. Unfortunately, the Old Covenant people of God never seem to learn this lesson, as we see in Judges 2, 11-15 and Malachi 2, 10-12. We rightly condemn their methods, but the, the zeal of Jacob's sons to maintain the unique identity of the people of God is commendable to us. And in our day, the New Covenant Church is often too concerned with being acceptable to the idolatrous world. And yet 1 John 2.15 says, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Dinah's friendliness with the ways of the Canaanite woman and the widespread intermarriage had it happened both warn us against making ourselves too much like the world. And when the church fails to manifest a unique identity in the form of holiness and love, her witness is always compromised. How is your way of life different from those of non-believers around you? Now, Dinah's uh, dalliance with the Canaanite society exposed her to danger, but the violence spoken on her behalf. Jacob was silent when he heard of the assault in verse 5, and a rapist and her father have treated her as an object to be bartered in verse 12. And yet there were two men who were concerned with their sister's honor, her brothers, Simon and Levi. In our chapter today, these brothers seek retributive justice for Shechem, the one who would not even admit his sin. But their own actions are unjust, for they strike down all the men of the city as they lay sore from circumcision, according to verses 25 through 26. In fact, to make matters worse, the other sons of Jacob join them in their greed and capture the wealth, the women, and the children left behind after their deaths. Truly, as Matthew Henry notes in his commentary, the punishment does not fit the crime. We do know the Lord does, did not approve of their actions for two reasons. First, Jacob passes Simon and Levi over as the ruling tribes of Israel in favor of Judah in Genesis 49, 5-12. And secondly, they use the ceremony of circumcision in which God pledges to keep his covenant promise faithfully, according to Genesis 17, 1-14, in order to deceive Hamar and his subjects, according to Genesis 34, 13. 
God hates such treachery, according to Proverbs 2, 21-22. And having honorable motives, Simon and Levi act impiously, and this impiety, John Calvin writes, is more detestable because they not only rush impetuously upon men, but in a sense trample upon the sacred covenant of God, of which uh, alone they make their boast. Now, among other things, God's disapproval of these actions, it shows us that he did not intend for harem warfare, the total of elimination of the enemy, to characterize his people at all times and in all places. Only in select circumstances did he require Israel to, to do away with the enemy. Uh, somewhat related on this point is our final application for today. Simon and Levi warn us against not going too far when we seek to right a wrong. John Calvin comments on Genesis 34, 7. We must beware lest after we have become severe judges in condemning the faults of others, we hasten inconsiderably into evil. The Lord's use of Israel to pour out his wrath on the inhabitants of Canaan was a case of unique to a particular time in the history of the people of God. As Paul tells us in Romans 12:19, God no longer uses his people, the church, for this task. Instead, we are to trust him to take vengeance on his enemies. Consider those who have hurt you and those upon, those upon whom you have, either now or in the past, desired to take revenge. Pray for their well-being, as Romans 12:20-21 says. Now, as we conclude our look at Genesis 34, we must say that the Lord approved of the outrage Simon and Levi felt towards their sister's rapist, even though he condemned its execution. In fact, in verse 31 of our chapter today, it makes clear that when the brothers asked, should, should he treat our sister like a prostitute, Jacob gave no reply because the answer can only be no. Jacob could have done something about Dinah's rape after she was assaulted, but had been oblivious to justice, according to verse 5. In fact, he left Dinah's cause to her brothers who were undisciplined in their exercise of anger. Without spiritual guidance from their father, they, they have just been given away, John Calvin says, to intemperate anger that deprives men of their senses. Now, Israel's failure as a father is plain in many ways. First, his favoring of his beloved Rachel rendered him blind to the needs of Leah's daughter. Per custom, Simon and Levi should have called Dinah his daughter, but they referred to her as her sister. For though Jacob was her biological father, he did not love her as daddy. Now, contrast this with his later regard for Joseph and even Benjamin, and it's evident that Jacob loved Rachel's children more than Leah's. In fact, in due time, this favoritism will produce an even greater strife in Jacob's family. Second, Jacob's complaint after Simon and Levi slaughter the men of the city reveals his spiritual inadequacies. He could have justly condemned his sons for their wanton massacre of the Shechemites, abuse of circumcision, or breach of contract, but Jacob is not worried about any of this. He is only a afraid their actions will hurt him. And despite being transformed by his wrestling with God at Peniel, Jacob lets his old self get the best of him. Once again, he wants only to save his own skin. Nevertheless, the Lord's grace is shown in the treasures taken from Amar's people. The Almighty's plan to bless and enrich Jacob has moved forward once more, even if he hated Israel's passivity and the methods of Simon and Levi. Human frailty has not thwarted God's purpose to bless Abraham's offspring. We are greatly encouraged that the Lord is true to his word, even when his people sin. If his blessings were based ultimately on our faithfulness, we'd be totally lost. Still, but while God was faithful despite Jacob's unfaithfulness, the patriarchs and his family would have avoided a lot of trouble had Jacob been more concerned to be an effective spiritual leader. Well, I want to thank you for listening or watching today's episode of Reading the Bible Daily with Dave. My name is Dave, and today is February 3rd, and we've looked at Genesis 34. 
Until tomorrow, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to also like, subscribe, or follow Servants of Grace on Facebook, Instagram, X, or YouTube. We appreciate your support.